We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato for Saquon Barkley, who has yet to sign his franchise tag tender and therefore cannot show up to mandatory minicamp unless he were to grant the Giants a waiver of any, if he were to get injured in minicamp, the Giants wouldn't be on the hook and no player would ever grant that because it's would be unbelievably stupid for them to do that. So he was the only one not in attendance, which is the good news because he wasn't expected to be there. Um, and before we get into what went down in minicamp uh, during practice and what we heard after practice and before practice from some of the assistant coaches, Jerome Henderson spoke, um, a, f- a few other assistants spoke as well as Brian Dable. Let's get into the Saquon Barkley contract situation a little bit more because we did have a little bit of an update on uh, from on, on the situation from the weekend, Nick. And that was Saquon Barkley held an event where there were some Giants players in attendance. Uh, I think Dexter Lawrence was there, among others. And here's where we'll start this, Nick. And I'll discuss with you just some things real quick that were said there from Saquon Barkley. Um, He said, if a deal isn't done by the July 17th deadline, and that's what the Giants are working with here. So what are we at right now? Tuesday, June 13th. So we have about a month to get this done. He said he was non-committal about playing on the franchise tag. He said he needed to sit down with his team to make a decision if there wasn't a deal by that deadline. He also said that a card I could play would be sitting out. It comes up in the conversation if something doesn't get done by July 17th. We have a little bit of time between that. So that day comes, I'll have to sit down with my team and my family to make decision what's the best move. And he, he also said he was not upset about getting tagged because he said nobody wants to be tagged. But he said to sit here and say I was frustrated, I was mad, I was upset. What really got me upset were the stories that got leaked out and how misleading they were and how untruthful they were. He says, I feel like those stories were trying to paint a narrative of me, a selfish picture of me that is not even true and not even close to being the truth. He also said he does not, does not know if he's optimistic, if a, if a deal will get done by the deadline. He lastly also said the Giants have all the leverage, which I thought was interesting. He acknowledged that. He said, in the end of the day, he just wants respect, Nick, and that you can read between the lines of why thus far he has rejected the offers made by the Giants. He also mentioned that he's not trying to reset the running back market. He said that again, which is really important because the running back market right now sits at the top with Christian McCaffrey at what? I think it's 16 and some change. He's not looking to reset that. And the thing that he's most angered about is just these false stories that have came out. I also think it's interesting that Saquon Barkley, all intents and purposes, he alluded to the fact that he would sign the franchise tag. I would, I'm dubious. 
Dan, that he's going to sit out the season and pull a Le'Veon Bell. It didn't really work for Le'Veon Bell. If you look at the New York Giants, if you look at John Mara, if you look at Joe Shane, if you look at the culture that is being cultivated there for the New York Giants, I, I just don't imagine that Saquon Barkley is going to end up sitting out and the general manager is going to allow that to happen. I think some sort of deal will get done or there will be a franchise tag and then possibly an extension that would follow that franchise tag. I think that's kind of the direction we're looking at with Saquon Barkley. It's hard to opine right now if Saquon Barkley is going to attend or not. We're not really 100% certain, but I don't think John Mara or Joe Shane or really anybody likes this somewhat uncomfortable conversation that is being floated around the media, but we know this is a business and I eventually expect some sort of deal to get done. And that could be the franchise tag. I Saquon Barkley also said. Yeah, because it's weird because he says like he'll have the conversation with his team, with his family about potentially sitting out the season if a deal doesn't get done. But then he also acknowledges later the Giants have all the leverage. So if that were true, that he could potentially or would be willing to potentially set out the season, the Giants wouldn't have all the leverage, right? Like they're right there, then and there, the Giants don't lose a lot of leverage if this player is willing to sit out the entire season. So when he does come out and say they have all the leverage, I do really honestly believe that he does not have any real plans to sit out this season. Look, it's a really unfortunate situation for a player to be forced into that spot where they have to sit out a season, especially a player at the running back position. If this were a quarterback, I think there'd be a little more validity to potentially sitting out a season if they felt disrespected by this. Uh, you know, for example, Kirk Cousins was franchise tagged twice in a row by the Washington football team earlier in his career. But obviously, he then got a big deal from the Vikings. And even so, playing those years out, he was able to collect a lot of guaranteed money. Like if Saquon Barkley were to play two straight years for the Giants in the franchise tag, it would essentially be like them signing him to a three-year deal that really only has two years worth of guaranteed money. The issue is that if you sign the three-year deal with two years worth of guaranteed money, you're guaranteed that second year's worth of money. If you do the franchise tag, you could get injured again. You could tear your ACL again or any of those types of season-long injuries, and then you lose that money. At quarterback, I feel like there's a little bit more of a, well, it's more unlikely I'm going to get injured, and I have more of a, at least along the lines of you have more of a, uh, a, a shelf life too, because if Saquon Barkley were to sit out this season, Nick, he then is entering next year at what 27 years old or he's going to be 28 years old by that point in between 27 and 28 i think it's i forget when his birthday is but now you're getting into the age of like you have to be the derrick henry to you have to you know buck the trend we even saw a 27 year old dalvin cook recently released um he was set to make 11 million against the cap i believe it was or between 10 and 11 million from the vikings i also think it's interesting because you talked about nick how he said or, or you talked about how he says i in the end i just want respect and you can read between the lines about why he's rejected those offers the giants have made so far so to him he's basically saying those offers are disrespectful he didn't say it out loud but reading between the lines he's looking for respect those offers are disrespectful or go ahead Dan, didn't he also mention something about how those reports were false yeah, he said he felt like they were misleading. They were misleading reports, but was that specific to the contracts? Because if it was, then what was the actual contract that was offered to him and his representative? Right. And I think that's kind of the point here with with what your to your question. We don't know. And there's going to be no way we're going to know this. And obviously, anything we've read about what he were potentially rejected, I think we've seen out there, he potentially rejected 13 mil AAV during the season on like a three-year 39. I think we saw um, we've seen in 12 range. 13 and a half million after the season, I believe, was one as well. These are all reports, though. And like like you said, he's at least claiming these are misleading reports. Um, but I will say this. There is like there's a gap because it's not like, OK, he's saying he doesn't want to reset the market, at the running back position. And he, in his mind, that makes him a team first guy. Right. In his mind, that makes him someone who is not trying to reset the market, is doing right by the Giants. But 
the reality of the situation is the market is has a gap between that 16 million range and where the Giants feel like they should pay him. It's not like they just say, oh, you don't want to reset the market. We'll just give you 15 million. Thanks for giving us a deal here because the Giants aren't looking at it like a little bit less than McCaffrey is a deal. The Giants are looking at it like if we give out this contract, like all these teams have done, Dalvin Cook's the most recent example of this. We're going to be in that position in future years where we have to either cut a player like Cook or Barkley in this case and take on a dead cap hit and lose all our leverage and not be able to trade him. Like nobody traded for Dalvin cook, right? The Vikings wanted to trade Dalvin cook. They won't have to cut him at this stage of the off season, right? You know how bad it is where you're cutting guys in June. Like that's, you're getting no cap relief. All free agency is gone. The draft is gone. So you can't even like plan around this. You're just kind of losing the player and lose and just trying to get the unload the cap. So it's like in his mind, what he believes is respect is not really the same as what the Giants believe because they're looking at this very differently. So just because he doesn't want to take 16 million or, t- or get 17 million doesn't necessarily mean he's giving the Giants any kind of real break based on the market. This is somewhat conjecture because we don't know the incentives yep. in the deal. We don't know how long the deal is. We don't know any of those types of variables that I feel like could maybe lead Saquon Barkley to feeling disrespected. But as of right now, it's I don't want to say there's bad blood. I think this is a slow time in the media for NFL news. So this is going to be put under a hyper microscope, especially when a quarterback who is getting paid $40 million and a lot of people in the media don't believe he should be getting paid $40 million just got paid. So people are going to look at this situation and be like, it's a huge deal. But if you just look at the facts of the case, man, he's not under contract right now. He has not signed his franchise tag. We're going to have until what? July 17th until that happens. But until then, it's really just a lot of conjecture. And hopefully the Giants and Saquon Barkley can come to a deal. There's some sort of remedy to the situation. Yeah. like, And you've seen what I believe was Joy Taylor, whoever it was, who was basically (laughs) saying like Saquon Barkley made Daniel Jones. And, you know, why are we debating giving this guy 16 million or whatever, but giving the quarterback 40 million? Well, it's like, here's the easy answer, Joy, or whoever's asking this question. It's a market. There's a market value to playing quarterbacks. There's a market to paying running backs. There's also a track record of longevity at the quarterback position versus the running back position. These aren't like brain busters. These are easy questions to answer. And it's just like absurd to me that people just don't understand the logic behind like people can't even get down to the understanding of like why like, okay. If this decision were just about 2023, Nick, every single person in the world would be like, why haven't the Giants paid Barkley yet? This is the most obvious no-brainer decision. But it's not. When you're giving someone a multi-year deal at a position where it has an average shelf life that tends to drop off at age 27, it's about future. It's not about just those years. And the same was true for Daniel Jones. For all these people who are saying, like, Barkley made Jones. The Jones contract makes no sense. How could you pay Jones $40 million? But Barkley, you won't pay Barkley sixteen. The belief is that Jones will get better throughout the longevity of that contract, and you could get yourself to the point where you can have a bargain. There's no way that Barkley is going to get better throughout the longevity of the contract. I'm sorry to admit this. This is the harsh reality of the NFL. Running backs don't get better with age. They get worse. There's no. It's, it's an easy, obvious graph here. And not only do they get worse, there's a chance they can get re-injured, and there's a chance they can lose effectiveness. And it's a position that relies enough alone on athleticism versus quarterback where you could get to a point where you can just rely solely on, not solely, but like we almost saw it with Drew Brees, relying solely on your mind. Like at the end of Drew Brees and the end of Peyton Manning, there was no arm left. There was no arm talent. I and mean, they're just finding solutions with their mind. That's not going to happen for Saquon Barkley. It's not going to happen for any running back let alone Saquon Barkley, who is a running back who tends to, on the scale of rely on athleticism versus processing, he leans more on relying on athleticism. 
And it seems like a lot of us understand this too. And we're talking about the quarterback market, but whenever we transition to another position, it gets thrown out the window completely. Right. We've said how many times like Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, they're going to be getting paid massive money. So Daniel Jones comparatively, his contract is going to be advantageous to the New York Giants if he steadily develops within Brian Dable's system. But now we look at a completely different market. Why would the Giants force overpay when everybody else is regretting giving those contracts to their star running backs? Right. And you, you can look at it like that's a great point, Nick. And you can look at it like, oh, well, you could regret the Jones contract, too. It's possible. Sure, it's possible to regret the Jones contract. We understand this. But the expectation is, at least with the quarterback position, you have a chance of not only getting better throughout the duration of the contract, but you have a chance of not many quarterbacks coming into the NFL who could play the position, right? Like, it's not a guarantee. We know we look ahead. Oh, Caleb Williams is great. Okay, one team's going to get Caleb Williams. You get him at number one overall. And like, even so, there's no guarantee Caleb Williams just develops into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right away. It could take some time there. And we look across the landscape right now, and it's drier than it's ever been at quarterback. That is not the case at running back, though. That's the important thing here. Like, you can get running backs, and you can even go – like. I think the maximization of the strategy is what the Seahawks are doing. They spent back-to-back second rounders at running back. Now they have them under the cap. They have them under contract for the next three years uh, total with Walker having three and Charbonnet having four. And those dudes are going to make like five million, less than five million against the cap combined. And you have a one-two punch. You now have insurance in case either gets injured. You can keep them fresh. You're not paying them anything against the cap. And that's obvious. And they're both super talented, not to mention they're in the early stage of their development, right? Like as a back, like they don't have the tread on their tires. They're going to get, get they actually can be described as going to get better. Right. And I would even argue that I think all running backs are on, unfortunately like a steady decline. The minute they hit the NFL, and it's just a sad nature of the position. You take a lot of hits, you're making a lot of cuts. You're it's, it's tough. It's tough to stay healthy and it's tough to, and the more injuries you take, the worse you become, in my opinion, as an athlete. And again, like I said, it's a position that relies a lot on athleticism, but it's just not the same to compare those positions. So I thought those arguments that uh, some of those people have made are pretty disingenuous comparing uh, the Jones contract situation to Barkley's. Unless you're Frank Gore, of course, then the yeah, older are, the better. But what did Frank Gore, but even think about late career Frank Gore, like what was he doing so well? It wasn't like he was running a 4-4 still at that point, and he of had already come not. off multiple injuries. He was just processing and grinding out yards and understanding when to fall forward and understanding when to kind of hit the right spots to maximize yards on every attempt. I'm not saying Barkley can't develop into that kind of back. Anyone can potentially. But that's like an elite level of processing that you probably would have seen earlier, no offense, in Barkley's career. I would argue that Saquon Barkley, and I think you would agree with this, this season we saw much more of that. And I still think we saw the athletic capabilities, at least similar athletic capabilities that we saw earlier in his career. Maybe it's declined a little bit after all of these injuries. But one more point on just the NFL talking heads, the people in national media reporting on the New York Giants. These people haven't watched the New York Giants like this podcast has watched the New York Giants. They don't break down the film. Their exposure to the New York Giants is what they hear, which is important. And also just watching these teams on primetime. So you got to take a lot of what those people say with a grain of salt. But I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this podcast, you were already aware of that. Yeah, that's a very important point. And that's why it's always hard to take... Even I always say, Nick, like I hate when we've done it before and it's fun to do and maybe we'll do it at some point just because it's fun to do like to evaluate and rank our player, the Giants players versus the rest of the NFL. But it's not like it's in my opinion, anytime we do it, Nick, it's never going to be a complete process because like I can't watch 16 games of Trevor Lawrence on tape. I can watch six. I watch 16 games or 17 games these days of Daniel Jones on film. Right. And like I watched four games of Lawrence last year. They were great. It was the they happened to be his best four game stretch of the season. And plus the Giants game which is a fifth game, but I didn't watch a lot of the bad games from Lawrence and Lawrence had a lot of bad games last year. So you get even in that evaluation, if you're going to spend time to watch the film, 
you better watch all 17 games if you want the complete outlook on it. And, and at sometimes like an argument could be even be made that if you just watch four games of Trevor Lawrence versus your own like primetime game, island game assessment of Joe Burrow, it might be more of a better assessment on the Burrow than the four games of film because you're not watching all of the film. And also, I think it's really interesting just when you watch, like, say, one or two games of a, of an individual, like Trevor Lawrence, for instance, when he played the New York Giants, Wink Martindale called one of his more conservative games. And usually when you think of the New York Giants and Wink Martindale, you don't think of a conservative approach defensively. So I just think the way defensive coordinators play these quarterbacks really dictate how they play as well. And I just think that's a fascinating reality that we get to witness when we do watch these games. That's an excellent point, because especially because Wink Martindale did that against a second year quarterback in a first year system. What does that tell you? And early in the season, eight, bro, he was dropping eight (laughs) early in early in the year, set first year system that just showed like, he's not doing that against a lot of these rookie quarterbacks and he's, you know, not, you know, not as, um, I guess like a experienced quarterback. So it shows how much kind of respect he had for Trevor Lawrence. He didn't even have that good of a game against the giants. He made some nice uh, whole shot throws. I thought, but he missed some throws that like he should, that we would kill Daniel Jones for missing in that game. That was not one of his better games. He had much better games later in the year. But anyway, back to the Barkley thing. I think one thing that's interesting as far as the leverage goes and the assumption that, okay, Saquon kind of admits uh, Giants have all the leverage here, but there's, you know, a month until the deadline and Barkley can, according to him, consider holding out or not playing in the season. Is part of the leverage on Barkley's side this idea that we've seen in the past players who skip all of training camp, all of the preseason, and just show up, report there for week one, have a higher chance of injury earlier in the season. Now, I have talked to some people about this lately who have said this is not as much the case lately as, you know, advances in medicine have happened and players have done a much better job staying in shape when they're not uh, at at the team activity. But there is something to me, at least, to the idea of, like, if you're not taking any hits in training camp at all and you just step right in and you're not cutting and you're not doing any of this stuff, you're kind of just training on your own and doing, you know, working with a trainer. When you come in 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 week one, are you really as, you know, are, are you really as ready for for taking 30 hits in a game or taking 20 touches in a game we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
I would imagine that they're not ready, but I don't know if that necessarily is one of the primary reasons why Saquon Barkley is thinking about holding out or not thinking about holding out. I think right now, obviously, it just comes down to the contract. And as he said, the respect that he believes the Giants are neglecting to show him, despite the fact that he is not trying to reset the market. But again, like to your point, I think Saquon Barkley is keeping himself in shape probably year round, no matter what that guy is an elite level athlete. That doesn't mean that you're going to be ready at all times to step on the football field. But I think this is a very smart individual and he's going to take the necessary precautions with all the injuries in his past to prevent himself from suffering an injury. It doesn't mean he's not going to suffer an injury. Injuries are freak accidents sometimes, but I don't believe he's going to go onto the football field without the process of protecting himself and getting ready for football activities. I guess I mean more so along the lines, Nick, I'm curious to get your take on if it gives his camp any leverage and it give, and it loses, takes away a little bit from the Giants leverage because they're in the sense of even what like, you know, Brian Dable said today, like we, it, it, there's something, and not just Brian Dable, the players have also said, there's something missing without Saquon Barkley here at the mandatory minicamp. He's one of the biggest leaders of the locker room. And in and, and a lot of ways, he's a big component of the offense, especially the first half offense we saw last season. Like, does that give the him any leverage in the sense the Giants want to get him ready for the season and get him some hits and get him in camp? Yeah. Absolutely. It's kind of independent of the injury. It's just he's one of the team leaders. Everybody looks up to Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is the face of the franchise, right? Like even over Daniel Jones. And maybe that's to Joy Taylor's point. I just think she was very, very disrespectful to Daniel Jones and didn't really accurately portray what the Giants offense was last year under Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. But separate from that, Saquon Barkley, number 26, that's the most popular jersey the New York Giants right now. I mean, John Mara talks about it. You know, that's important to John Mara. So having him in the building and having him under contract definitely is uh, something that the New York Giants want right now. He's one of the stars of this team. Okay, let me ask you a question that's interesting that that I want to touch on with regards to the Giants situation. Is there a world where the Giants could essentially say, this isn't going well, our contract negotiation, you know, we're not advancing these negotiations. Saquon Barkley's telling us behind the scenes he's not going to play on the franchise tag. Could they potentially rescind the tag and sign a player like Dalvin Cook to play a featured role in the offense just for this season, give him a similar deal to what Barkley would be getting on the franchise tag? Because I know Cook, from what I've read, Cook wants to be paid a big amount of money, but he didn't make it seem like he wants to be paid um, a multi-year deal. He almost made it seem like he kind of wants what you would maybe get on a franchise tag, around 8 to $10 million. So say it was like $8 million, one-year deal with Dalvin Cook, and then you go back to the drawing board in the 2024 draft and you say, I find my Zach Charbonnet or I find whatever it would be to lead to, to be the 1A to Eric Gray's 1B at that point. Is that a potential scenario? How much would the Giants lose going from Barkley to Cook? I think that's improbable. I think that's an unlikely scenario. I think if the Giants do not have Saquon Barkley, they more so go with the approach of Matt Breida, Gary Brightwell, and Eric Gray because they don't really have that much cap space to play around with. I do think Dalvin Cook is a step down from Saquon Barkley. I still think right now, 26-year-old healthy Saquon Barkley adds a a dynamic playmaker to the backfield of the New York Giants. I think, I don't want to say need, but definitely enhances what Mike Kafka and Brian Dable want to do. That's not breaking any ground right there. So I think Saquon Barkley is still very valuable to this offense, but it's always going to come down to economics. I don't see John Mara and Joe Shane going out and signing a Dalvin Cook to $8 million. I think they're going to eventually come to some sort of agreement with Saquon Barkley and he's going to be there. But if they don't, I think they would go with some sort of maybe two or three headed approach or sign someone cheaper than an $8 million contract to a Dalvin Cook. But I think it's an interesting point that you make because I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I just think right now I would say it's improbable. I would say it's improbable too. I mean, you listen to what Dexter Lawrence said today. 
and what Daniel Jones said today. And they both have kind of essentially said, like, let's just let this process play out a little bit longer. I've got a good feeling about this. And I think yeah. everyone has that feeling. I know a friend of mine a couple weeks ago that I was playing poker with showed me a picture uh, of his buddy who was playing golf that earlier that day. And he was right behind a threesome, which was Brian Dable, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Right. So that's. That's a, I mean, if Brian Dable and St. Daniels and Sigma Barkley are playing golf like together, I just, it just seems like it's not, it's not as rocky as maybe the, it's kind of portrayed right now. Great observation. And Dan, how many consecutive podcasts are you going to mention golf? I mean, we're, we're on like what, like five or six right now. So let's just keep yeah, this going. Bro. It's it's a pure addiction right now. I played again this past weekend, but things are getting, I took a little few steps backwards. And as I told my brother in a text earlier today, I need to get to the point where I'm making consistent contact. So I, I, I need to start taking lessons because it's all, you're only developing bad habits at this point, though. I have made some major improvements in my short game. So we got that going for us and the driver has been a lot better, but anyway, no more golf talk. I know some people hate it, but Back to, you know, back to the situation. It's like all these guys seem confident a deal will get done. They're still spending time together. That, Like I said earlier, Dexter Lawrence was at Saquon Barkley's camp. I agree with you. It seems highly unlikely the Giants would go in that route. As far as the hypothetical situation of what they would lose going to, from going to Barkley to Cook, I think they would lose a lot only because I'm not so convinced Cook would be a good fit for the Giants system. To me, I thought I saw a noticeable regression from Cook getting away from that Kubiak system last year. And maybe that's just because he had ran in it for so long and he had found so much success and he understood his keys so well running in that. But a lot of what made cook special to me was his mental processing it certainly wasn't as athleticism i mean the guy had like a 30 inch vertical at the combine ran in the four fives it was just an elite mental processor but it almost felt like watching him last year this is only basing it off of the two games i saw him against the giants on film i felt like he wasn't really that elite processor in the system that they ran last year which was still a lot of zone but it was like a different kind of zone running scheme and they weren't really as effective at run blocking and so you put him in the Giants system i think there would be a major drop off for going from barkley to cook I don't know necessarily if the defense would. Sh I, I here's my thing with, with regards to what the the talking point. I hear a lot with Barkley Nick, and I want to get to this point next because there are also other options like Kareem Hunt could be a potential option for the Giants, and he would come incredibly cheap. You could probably get him for three or four million on a one year deal at this point, especially if you told him, "Look, we're moving on from Barkley, and you could be the lead back here for three or four million. You could kind of recoup and recover your career." you know, get yourself to a point where maybe next year you can get paid. You probably get Kareem Hunt cheap. And I still think he has a good amount of juice and would fit the system better. But with regards to Barkley, I want to ask you this question, because I think this is a talking point a lot and I'm not so necessarily sure I agree with it. I know we may differ on this just based on like my memory of some of the things you've said on the podcast over the years, Nick, but I'm not sure. So that's why I want to get your take on it. A talking point I hear often, Nick, is Defenses did so much when Saquon Barkley was on the field. They played for Barkley. They adjusted to Barkley. Everything they did was because Barkley was on the field. They respected the play action because Barkley was on the field. The bootlegs only worked because Barkley was on the field. And I'm just not so sure I believe that from watching the amount of football I've watched over the years, learning the game through you and other people I watch film. I feel like a lot of what you see in the bootleg game is really more on the offensive coaches for designing it and the assist and how football works with linebackers simply reading their keys and a reaction reacting to reading their keys. And I'm not so sure they look at 26 on the field and react differently. And I also think that we've seen through the years, defenses play Daniel Jones, a certain style and a certain way. And defenses play Daniel Jones's receivers, a certain style and a certain way that leads to it looking like they're stacking the box or looking like everything is about Saquon Barkley. But the reality is it's more about them reacting to the system, reacting to the scheme, reacting to the offensive concepts. 
I want to get your take on that because it's something that I've that's always stood out to me. And even in the snaps where Berkeley wasn't on the field last year, when they had Brita or you know when they had Brightwell, I felt like they were the defense was reacting and scheming against the Giants pretty similarly. I think it's opponent dependent. So let's go back to the Chicago Bears game. Daniel Jones had like a 17 yard and a 19 yard rushing touchdown off of a play action bootleg. We talked about how undisciplined the Chicago Bears defense, one of the most undisciplined defenses in terms of their run fits, specifically with the end man on the line of scrimmage, paying attention to Daniel Jones. In that scenario, it seems like to me that the Chicago Bears were really focusing on stopping number 26. But if we go a little bit later on down the season, we saw the Giants start to develop more of a quick hitting West Coast, if you want to call it, just like two-step drop hit out of the shotgun type of passing attack. And Daniel Jones was really burning a lot of the defense, but like 70 yards on the ground here, 68 yards on the ground there. And I think those defenses had to adjust to number eight in those situations. And they started straying away a little bit more from 26 because the Giants were aligning so much in 11 personnel and they're efficiency passing the football in the short to intermediate parts of the field. It was really high. So those defenses had to really focus on stopping Daniel Jones and the 11 personnel passing attack, which opened up the rushing game. So I feel like Daniel Jones and the passing attack ended up helping out Saquon Barkley and the rushing attack down the stretch of the season. But I think it really just depended on the opponent. Some opponents didn't really show Daniel Jones that much respect, but they were able to contain him on the ground. Now, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm more so referring to the Washington football team and how they were able to play Daniel Jones to Daniel Jones's tendencies. And I guess you could say the offense's tendencies by ignoring the field side whenever the ball was on the hash and allocating a lot of the coverage to the front side of the play and taking away Daniel Jones's closer options. Now that's kind of regardless, or that's a little bit separate from Saquon Barkley conversation, but I honestly think it really just depended on the opponent. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And I think in the end, these these coaches are scheming against what the opposing coordinator is doing more, in my mind, more than more than the players on the field. That's not always the case when there's quarterbacks who are playing at an elite level. Like you saw for a while, teams try to just simply play like too high against Burrow and Mahomes, hoping to like that could stop them or at least take away big plays. Both have seem, seemingly found you know ways around that. Go ahead. You remember, I think Gus Bradley was the Raiders defensive coordinator. It was like a Sunday night or a Monday night game. And uh, who was the running back on the Chiefs? It was like their third string running back. He ended up having like six receptions for 90 yards with a touchdown against last year. No, no, uh, no. This was 2021 against the uh, against the Vegas Raiders because Gus Bradley, who was a cover three type of defensive coordinator at heart, but he started playing a lot of too high, but he was just ignoring the flat. So Pat Mahomes just consistently ripped these like six yard passes to this running back. It wasn't Jarek McKinnon. He ended up, uh, I think, going to the Cardinals and getting hurt this past season. And then we didn't really hear about it. Maybe it was one of those like third string running back Williams. It might have been Daryl Williams on the Chiefs. It was Daryl Williams. Bro, you're 100% right. Good job, Dan. It was Daryl Williams. He ended up having like a great game against the Raiders and then teams had to start scheming to take away those quick passes because you can just absolutely carve up a defense. If you want to stop these explosive plays, that's excellent, but you need to do a good enough job to get the offense to a third and manageable type of situation or even a third and short and then come up big there and force a punt. But if you just keep giving up six, seven, eight yards per catch in the flat to these running backs, then you're going to get toasted on defense. Yeah. And, and and the, 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 like overall, like, I guess, maybe overarching point for me might be like, where is the ceiling anyway, if you get to that point, right? Because the only team I've seen, the only team that I've seen that I could say 
for sure they're scheming around to stop a player is the Titans with Derrick Henry. And we saw what the Giants did in week one last year. That was a defensive scheme to stop Henry. But there was never a ceiling point with that Titans-Henry team. Even at its peak when Henry was healthier before these in- last year's injury when he was younger, there was no ceiling point. They got a one seed one year and got destroyed and, and lost in the playoffs and threw three picks. And then they lost again in the playoffs the next year. So eventually the Giants are trying to get to a ceiling point. That ceiling point they believe is with Daniel Jones operating a pass first offense. So how much longer do we have to wait or how much longer can we rely on Saquon Barkley being a focal point in the offensive, even if that is the case, which I don't think at any point the Giants got to that. I don't think at any point the Niners got that with McCaffrey. I think teams scheme, uh, scheme to stop Shanahan's scheme. They don't scheme to stop Christian McCaffrey. And so you're, you're really looking at one example there, and it's not even a ceiling example. So it's like it's tough. And with Christian McCaffrey, it was a little different because Christian McCaffrey can come out and he can be a line in the backfield and, oh, sh- he just motioned to be the number two mm-hmm. receiver. Now you really have to worry about him. Like Saquon Barkley, he can align as the number two receiver, but he's not as effective or as crisp or as reliable as Christian McCaffrey out there on an island being a receiver. He is a running back by trade. Yeah, and if we if he had been those things, we would have seen it already, right? Like we would have already seen the Giants are lean on that and defenses have to adjust to Saquon Barkley either being in the backfield or motioned out as a slot like the, the 49ers did with McCaffrey last season. And we just haven't seen that a lot. I mean, it's going to be year, what, five for Barkley here? It's hard to imagine that all of a sudden out of nowhere with a third coaching staff in the second year that we're going to start to see that become a big component of the Giants passing game or, you know, of Barkley's game at this point. Most people say, oh, Barkley is such a weapon in the passing game. Look at 20 2018 numbers look at 2022 numbers well if you look a little deeper and you dig into the film 2018 a crap ton of checkdowns with eli manning and a bad oh. offensive line and eli just like i ain't getting hit with behind this offensive line let me just check this crap down on third and ten there were so many like third and longs and then last year is mostly those flare routes i mean we rarely saw a big play off a wheel we saw the big play against green bay that was interesting but we didn't really see them go back to it and i thought that was telling because maybe you know defense it, it's just the way that the way the giants viewed this the situation so definitely something interesting one final thing on the barkley thing before we move on i thought there was an interesting point of the interview where barkley said Look, every situation is different. And I think my situation is very different. We don't have Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes, the two-time Super Bowl MVP, said two-time MVP. It's like, I don't want you to turn that around and think that's a knock on Daniel Jones. Thankfully, like fans like me and you can understand that that doesn't mean you're knocking the Giants quarterback by saying Pat Mahomes is the greatest, is on a different level than Daniel Jones. It's just a reality of, of the world and how things work. Like it's it's amazing that these can, things can be debated and people can view that as like you're a hater. You're you're you know you just hate on Daniel Jones. Like really, I hate on Daniel Jones because it's, it's like it's like it's like saying like you know. Yeah, I'm not so sure Joe Biden's not a worse president than Abraham Lincoln. You know, I don't know. I don't know if Joe Biden just had this and this and this. If Joe Biden was around during that, like, what are you talking about? What are we talking about here? Like, stop arguing just for the sake of arguing. But he also said, you know, that my situation is different. And while I have respect for Saquon in that regard, Nick, I just think he's looking at this thing too short-sighted. Like, the Giants and him are just on such a different wavelength. He's looking at it like... Look at what I did for you in the 2022 season. We made the playoffs. It was on my back. We didn't he even said we didn't change it up until the Detroit game when Dabes and, and Kafka gave them credit for, you know, changing the scheme up and, you know, going more pass first. But he's like, I got us there. But the problem is Joe Shane's not looking at this. Like, what did you do in 2022? And what are you going to do in 2023? We're talking about a contract negotiation or a long-term deal. Joe Shane has to look at it like, what are you going to do throughout the remainder of this contract as far as how long I'm giving you guaranteed money for? Yeah. And just like you said before, it's a market. Who is paying running backs right now? Right. 
everybody who has paid running backs in the last three or four seasons immediately ended up regretting that contract. So that's not to say that Daniel, Daniel, or Daniel Jones, Joe Shane is not going to give Saquon Barkley a contract, but it says that the leverage is on Joe Shane's side because that market is definitely less than any of the other markets really around the entire NFL. We all know that the running back market is trash right now. You're right. And I think the longer Saquon waits at this point, it could only maybe hurt him in the sense that if Dalvin Cook signs earlier than that, than, than Saquon, it could be a situation where Dalvin Cook signs a really bad deal for him. You know, there's just nothing else he gives in. He doesn't wait it out any longer. And that's just worse for Saquon Barkley, right? Like, yeah, the best case scenario for Barkley is some team gives Dalvin Cook a multi-year deal with a ton of money guaranteed and around what Saquon was asking for and around what Saquon feels would be a respectful number, his word with respect, not not mine, with from the Giants. But that seems highly unlikely at this point. So it almost feels like he's just, it's it, it, he only stands to lose more leverage as this goes on. It seems like that, but I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Again, there's a lot of kind of conjecture here. We're not really 100% certain what the numbers are. If Saquon Barkley actually said that it was misleading, if that's what he was claiming was misleading. I think in the end, Nick, the deal will get done, but it's going to be a situation where Barkley's going to have to negotiate, uh, compromise on what he was originally hoping for with the Giants, which is a long-term deal that makes him potentially a Giant for life. And Few in his mind, like, I actually have a chance. Here's what my plan is going to be. My plan is going to be a two-year type deal. I'm going to ball out over these next two years, and then I'm going to be have a chance to hit the market again. The issue with that is he's not stupid, and he understands that by that point, he's going to be 28 years old and going into a 29 season. And it's like, no matter what he really does over these next two seasons, some for- this, this is why it sucks. Like, the running back, it's just sad. I feel bad for these running backs. You know, we've talked a lot about how I don't think it's necessary. Both of us agree it's not necessarily in the Giants' best long-term interest to give these long-term deal out with a ton of guaranteed money to a running back, even if it is Barkley. But like, it doesn't mean I don't feel bad for these guys in the situation they're in. Like it sucks. Like he could literally go play two great years. Like cousins did for those two years. He was tagged and not get the deal. Cousins then got with the Vikings, right? Like he could get shut out completely despite proving that he should have gotten the deal in the first place. Which he will get shut out completely at that point. Like no one's going to give him a huge long-term deal at 28 years old with all the injuries in his past. I would even argue, even if he goes, what, like 1,500 yards in each of these seasons, I don't know what that contract looks like beyond 28 because a lot of general managers will more than likely view it in the way that you broke down throughout this podcast. I can get two very cheap options, use them up completely, and then once their contract is up, just keep replenishing, replacing them. And that just seems to be the uh, modus operandi of how general managers are using these running backs right now. And it's almost like the only position in the NFL where it actually it's crazy to say, but it could like work against him because if he does have those 50, let's say a quarterback at 5,000 yards and you know, that required however many hundred attempts, that's great. But if a running back has 1500 yards, like you said, the next two years, that's probably going to be another 350 attempts each year or 350 touchdowns a year. And that's just now working against him again. There's really not a lot of good arguments for running backs. Like if you're a kid right now and you have a multifaceted skill set, don't play running back if you have a chance to go to the NFL. Play another position that is going to get you paid and take care of life. Yeah, it's sad. It's an unfortunate situation until the NFL makes some kind of I think what they're going to have to do is make a salary cap exception for the position. Now, as Sa- they asked Saquon Barkley about that and Saquon Barkley was like the new CBA isn't for another 10 years. And he's like, years, I know the reality of the situation is I'm not going to be playing football in 10 years. And he's right. Like, he's not going to be playing football at 36 years old. I think, what, when did Frank Gore play until? 
What was I his think he was like 37. Okay. There's like Frank Gore's done it. What was Adrian Peterson? He was up there too, I feel like, with those Washington. He was teams. up He was up there, yeah. I don't know if it was 37, though. 37, I think Frank Gore might. So it's like there's going to be like one or two random outliers occasionally. Um, and Peterson, in a lot of ways, was somebody who did rely on his athleticism. But I, I just think it's like he, he's making the bet. Like he's like, look, I'm probably not going to be playing in 10 years. So what do I care about the new CBA and some kind of cap exception that'll help running backs down the line? I don't blame Saquon for that, right? No, you can't blame Saquon for that. Like, again, you've already laid it out. Like, this is a crappy situation for running backs, but it is also the reality of the situation of what is the NFL. It's a business, so you're going to adhere to the business practices that allow you to have success. And paying a running back $15 million a year is not typically one of those practices right now. Yep. And so we'll see what happens on the situation. I think ultimately Nick and I are on the same side of this. Our prognostication of the situation is the giant Saquon will come to some kind of compromise. I don't know if that compromise is something Saquon will quote unquote feel respect from the Giants on. But at the end, the Giants have most of the leverage here. All right, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast. Remember, if you want to help us grow the show, make sure you subscribe and auto download on Spotify or iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. We get paid for downloads, so we like that. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, please. If you've gotten this far, it means you like the video, so just hit the like button. We need likes to move us up the algorithm. We need subscriptions, too, so help us and tell your friends about subscribing to the YouTube page as well. Other than that, we'll never ask you for anything else, so thanks again. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.